Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. It is Sunday the 14th of August 2022. I am your host Ben Davison and it is my great pleasure to be with you on this glorious Sunday afternoon. Now, if like me, you're an obsessive watcher of insiders, you will hopefully have seen Chris Bowen's superlative interview on Insiders this morning. And the reason why I'm raising this interview is because I'll come back to this later on when we talk about economic reform. Chris Bowen demonstrated the importance of having a minister who understands both the portfolio that he is there to work on and work through, but also the process of making reform real and tangible. The level of detail, the insight, the understanding, taking complex and difficult concepts, simplifying them so that even I could understand what he was talking about and putting that to the Australian people as a policy position, as a series of policy positions, not talking about banning things or taxing things, which is always, always the coalition's response that things either have to be banned or allowed, taxed or free marketed. Chris Bowen laid out very clearly a different approach, which is to incentivize and disincentivize things, to use regulation, to use policy, to use cooperation and coordination as mechanisms of government reform. A really fantastic interview. I'd encourage people to go back and watch it. Maybe not the rest of Insiders today, and I'll talk about why I think the rest of Insiders probably wasn't as worthwhile as the interview shortly. But firstly, I want to talk about something that insiders didn't talk about that I think is fundamentally vital for every Australian to be aware of. During the COVID pandemic, Scott Morrison, the then Prime Minister of Australia, the leader of the Liberal Party, the leader of the coalition, made himself both health minister and finance minister in addition to being prime minister. He didn't tell anyone about this. He didn't talk to the Governor General about it. It was not publicly announced. It was simply done in secret on the advice of the now discredited Christian Porter. This is a remarkable, undemocratic series of events. For a Prime Minister of Australia to secretly take control of Australia's Biosecurity Act. And make no mistake, the reporting on this that has come out clearly shows that Scott Morrison wanted control of the Biosecurity Act. He wanted to make sure that it wasn't Greg Hunt, but that he had that control. That I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to even talk about it. It's such a shocking misuse of power, such a shocking... Uh, undermining of transparent, open, democratic government for a prime minister to simply make themselves the Minister for Health and the Minister for Finance. Well, why the Minister for Finance? Well, obviously, during the pandemic, there was a lot of financial decisions. In fact, some of which were so terribly executed, it's created a huge economic problem for us. We all know how badly how badly they executed JobKeeper, billions of dollars wasted, propping up profits and balance sheets of profitable companies. But the other thing that the finance minister has control over is a vast array of government appointments. The minister for finance 
has a huge number of board appointments, committee appointments, uh, statutory body appointments that they are empowered to make. And of course, we all know Scott Morrison's penchant for making appointments to government bodies. This is an absolutely scandalous revelation. The fact that it wasn't covered on Insiders, I think, is appalling. People can say, oh, well, Morrison's not Prime Minister anymore. He's still in Parliament. The coalition is still the opposition. Peter Dutton was a member of that government and in the cabinet. He has to answer questions about this. If Peter Dutton was aware that Scott Morrison had made himself Minister for Health, Minister for Finance and Prime Minister and did not inform the Australian people of these facts, then what is Peter Dutton's excuse? How how does the coalition justify hiding the truth from the Australian people for two years? You know, this isn't just, oh, well, Alan Tudge is the education minister, but he's he's sort of stepped back because of all the scandals, and but he's still going to be education minister if we win. Thankfully, they didn't win, and thankfully, Alan Tudge is not education minister. This is a whole nother level. This is a whole nother level of misuse of power, of hiding the behaviours and activities of government, of consolidation of power into the hands of Scott Morrison. And for what reason? Well, because, according to Scott Morrison, having the health minister administer the Biosecurity Act, which is what the law says, which is what parliament has decided, which is what the democratic will of the people has been expressed to have happened, Scott Morrison didn't like that idea. He didn't like the idea that the health minister would be the person in charge of the biosecurity of Australia in the event of a pandemic. He wanted to be in charge. He wanted the absolute power of kings. This is a line that was said that the health minister will have the absolute power of kings. This is why Scott Morrison made himself health minister, not because of anything to do with transparency or accountability or democracy, because if it was for those reasons, then the Australian people would have been informed. We would have been told that this had happened. We would have been at least sent a media release. But no, this was kept hidden and secret from the Australian people that Scott Morrison took upon himself absolute power during the pandemic. It is a remarkable and disturbing revelation. And quite frankly, Peter Dutton and the coalition must answer questions about why this consolidation of power was done secretly, when did it end, and was Peter Dutton aware? Were other members of Cabinet included in this decision? Because frankly, it strikes me as strange that the only people who would know about this uh, the departmental secretaries. What did they know? How did how did this operate? Was Scott Morrison obviously knew? Greg Hunt knew. Simon Birmingham knew. Christian Porter, who provided the advice, knew. Was there other advice sought? It's been made quite clear the Governor General was not consulted, was not given the information, did not issue writs. 
Did Scott Morrison make decisions as Minister for Health and the Minister for Finance that were done without a Governor-General's writ? Unprecedented. That would be unprecedented. And if so, do those decisions still exist? Do they still have legal force? Or are they challengeable? I mean, this just opens such a can of worms. And Peter Dutton needs to front the media on this. There has to be a proper a proper accounting for such a consolidation, a secret consolidation of power into the hands of Scott Morrison. And until there is, this should be part of every journalist's focus. And I was amazed that it wasn't discussed on Insiders. We've had listeners contact us all week since this story broke about what does this mean? How did this work? What does it mean for any decisions that were made under these arrangements? These are questions that I cannot answer, but they are questions that need to be answered, that Peter Dutton, as the then Defence Minister, needs to front up and acknowledge. Was he aware? Did he know? Did he support this? Looking back, would he do the same thing again? If he becomes Prime Minister, will he look to consolidate power over health, finance, and the whole nation into his own hands? Will he do that secretly as Scott Morrison did? And quite frankly, should Scott Morrison still be sitting in our parliament? Has he undermined our democratic processes to the point where he has to go? It's a question, I'm putting it out there, other people will come up with their own answers. Let us know what you think. Send us emails, texts. It is just a remarkable, remarkable uh, revelation. And, I, and I'm, as you can see, I'm still shocked uh, by it. Look, the other thing I want to talk about is something that was discussed on Insiders that Van and I discussed earlier in the week was the ACTU, this is Australian Union's discussion paper called An Economy That Works for People. This is part of the Jobs and Skills Summit lead up. This is where, you know, the ACTU, the union movement is making representations about issues it wants to discuss at the summit, about policy positions that it thinks are worthwhile discussing. And quite frankly, I think it's fantastic. The ACTU is the only only key stakeholder that has gone to the effort of actually putting forward ideas for discussion ahead of the summit, is the only stakeholder that is happy to say, this is what we think, we'd like to discuss these issues, we think these ideas have merit. Now, this is incredibly important, and I encourage everybody who's listening to join your union, because there's a whole range of things going on in workplaces, and I'll touch on some of those towards the end of this podcast. But at a macroeconomic level, the union movement is actually fighting for full employment, higher wages, more skills, more job security here in Australia, more local manufacturing, uh, more local resources being used locally. So energy reservation for Australia. These are all issues that people have raised and raised and raised, lifting both the skills, but also the wages of our caring and education professions. You know, these are all things that 
At different times during the Insiders episode today, panellists raised as issues. Now, the funny thing is is that you would think that journalists who think there are issues around the recognition and payment for teachers, supply chains being overextended and run on a just-in-time profit maximisation basis rather than a supply and need basis, that journalists who think that there's a problem with offshoring all of our resources to be turned into manufactured goods and then bought back at an increased price, who have concerns about falling real wages at a time when the economy is suffering from inflation. The journalists who have concerns about those issues might look at the paper, An Economy That Works For People, read that, read the ACTU statements about the fact that bank CEOs have seen their wages go up 36%. At the same time, bank CEOs are claiming wage spirals might be a problem, that bank profits have gone up record levels, that insurance companies are increasing premiums even though they're recording profits of $350 million plus, that if you're a journalist who had an interest in the economy and economics and how our systems work, that you would see some of these things and go, actually- Maybe now is the time to have these conversations. Maybe now is the time to talk about whether tax cuts that were legislated before COVID was even a thing that will give a tax cut of around $5,000 to the CEO of the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, the CBA, who just got a 37% pay increase, whether that's actually the best use of borrowed money, because that's what it'll be, of borrowed money, or whether it's time to actually focus on building local manufacturing, investing in our energy grid. You know, Chris Bowen gave such an insightful, detailed, and clear-eyed view of our energy market and the huge challenges that we face in transitioning to more stable, renewable, low-emissions energy in this country, that that will cost money. Of course it will cost money, but these are investments that will reap long-term benefits. Also, a number of short-term benefits, it should be it should be said. The Powering Australia policy will create 600,000 jobs, most of which will be in regions. This is a huge, huge benefit to Australia. Now, what the ACTU paper is doing is talking about how we make some of that work. What are the policy settings that actually provide a framework for people like Chris Bowen to do that work, to do that detailed policy work, to make those reforms real and tangible and have a positive impact on people's lives? So I was gobsmacked when the insiders panel basically dismissed it with the same tired tropes that they've been trotting out for the last 30 years. Oh, these are all ideas from the 50s and the 60s. I, it, it, is, it is unbelievable that after 40 years of neoliberal economics, of rising inflation, rising profits, collapsing wages, high levels of employment, but also high levels of insecure employment, that nobody on that panel and that so few journalists in general are bothering to look at the actual outcomes of neoliberal economic policy settings. 
that none of them are bothering to consider the fact that these so-called policies from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s were the policies that created the largest expansion of the middle class in human history. Full employment, having wage growth that reflects the cost of living and productivity, having local manufacturing to meet local needs, using resources locally rather than shipping them around the world to maximise the profit that corporations draw from those resources. That, that somehow or another, the, there is a class of people, and they were all present on the panel today on Insiders, who seem to think that inflation that is driven by profiteering, underinvestment in skills, underinvestment in infrastructure, dividend uh, being ripped out of corporations, huge huge payments to executives and total choking of the supply chain, that in that scenario, what we need to do is more of the same and that we should totally ignore and dismiss a key stakeholder that represents millions of workers putting forward ideas to discuss, to discuss how we deal with these issues. I got the distinct impression that none of the panellists had actually bothered to read an economy that works for people. And quite frankly, I get the distinct impression that they won't bother to read most of the discussion papers that come out in the lead up to the summit. They see these things through a purely political lens. It's telling that despite the fact we are in such a critical juncture for the Australian economy, for our communities, that Insiders chose to spend most of its panel time talking about the situation between China and Taiwan, a situation which, quite frankly, has been much the same since about 1958. China always wants Taiwan to be part of China. That's their position. And the idea that somehow or another there's an insider view to be offered by simply regurgitating what happened at the press club is a bit, well, it's just a bit silly. It's just a bit silly because there's a lot actually going on in Australia. There's a lot of things happening in our economy. We have multinational corporations like Switzer trying to cancel the staff agreements with tugboat operators and running lines in the AFR where they accuse them of being lazy. These are people who literally saved people from a stranded ship only a few weeks ago and now being being called all sorts of names in a national newspaper. We have the SDA taking action to recover $250 million worth of unpaid wages from McDonald's. We have the Teachers Federation in New South Wales voting down and voting against the the TAFE deal that the New South Wales government has put on the table. We have childcare workers and early childhood educators who are going to walk off the job in less than a month's time because of underpayment and understaffing. We have Qantas and Jetstar engineers taking industrial action because of the poor state of conditions that they're forced to work under. There are 
huge numbers of problems in our economy. We have farm workers winning pay rises of 10%. These are real things that are happening in the economy. And yet insiders and the journalistic class don't want to discuss these things. Why? Because they're detailed, because they require some insight. They require time to look at properly. Like Chris Bowen presented today on Insiders, you have to pay attention to the detail. You have to bring stakeholders with you. You have to engage with the people who are impacted and work through solutions that actually have real outcomes, not just trot out neoliberal lines about lower taxes and less regulation and all the things that sounded good in 1988, which quite frankly have led to absolute economic carnage in 2022. Very, very briefly, I want to just touch on the fact that yesterday in Melbourne, the cookers came out in some force to protest. I'm not really sure what, but they did this outside the Children's Hospital on Flemington Road in Melbourne. This was a disgraceful, despicable, disgusting act one that should be widely condemned. The Children's Hospital obviously cares for some of the sickest children in the state of Victoria, and people from all over the state take their children there because that's where they're going to get the treatment that they need. Many children, unfortunately, regrettably, do pass away at that hospital from conditions that simply can't be treated, of which treatment no longer is effective. For those families to be subjected to the irrational, insane ramblings of people who do not even believe in modern medicine, who instead are latched onto and providing propaganda for American far-right neo-fascists makes me sick. If any of you listening today know anyone involved in that protest, that movement, that, that, that propaganda staging, please direct them to Van's book, QAnon and On, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Cults, because it's all laid out there. And Van and I will talk more on Wednesday, on the week on Wednesday, about what's happened with Trump and the fact that he seemingly has tried to steal nuclear secrets, whether for private gain or simply to show them off, who knows with him, but the kinds of things that are happening, not just in America now, they're happening here in Australia, it is a disgrace and it is disgusting and it is anti-democratic. So I opened this episode with my concerns about Morrison's anti-democratic behaviour. I'm going to close the episode with my concerns about the cookers' anti-democratic behaviour. And in the middle there, I reminded you about how important it is to engage with stakeholders, to talk about the issues. That's why the work that unions are doing, whether it's in the workplace or at a macroeconomic level, is so important and why you should be joining your union. If you haven't already, you should be signing up to your union as you listen to this podcast, Australian Unions 
www.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W, to join your union. And of course, I want to give a huge shout out and thanks to everyone who has supported The Week on Wednesday over the last two years. Last Wednesday was our 100th Wednesday episode. We we are just going from strength to strength, over 40,000 downloads a month. And of course, it's possible because you like, you share, you comment, you review, you talk about these issues. And some of you even chip in a few dollars at our buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. That helps us get the message out to even more people. So if you do want to make a contribution, do check that out. We do send emails to everyone who makes a contribution with some links and of course, every episode of the week on Wednesday and the weekend wrap. So until Van and I talk with you again on Wednesday, remember, be kind to yourself and to each other.